welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with someone who's lived a truly extraordinary life. My guest today is someone who's been a much-loved face on ITV for over 20 years. Andrea McLean first appeared on GMTV back in 1997, before moving on to her career-defining role as anchor on Loose Women, discussing everything from marriages to menopause to daily politics with a generous dose of celeb gossip thrown in too. You might think that you know everything there is to know about a loose woman, but behind the scenes, Andrea was dealing with the trauma of the previous abusive relationship, leading to a breakdown that changed her life. She shared her story in her upcoming book, This Girl is on Fire, and she joins me now. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's so strange to sit and listen to your life being read out by someone else. Makes you want to cry. It's so bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. And I guess unnatural for you because you're the one normally doing the questions and the interviewing. It is. It is. And it's, it's a strange release in a way because you're handing over your life to someone else to interview you. And normally when I'm sort of in the head girl seat, you know, I have all my notes and I know exactly what's happening and I'm interviewing someone else and I've interviewed you loads of times. So it's really lovely to be on the receiving end, but you forget how vulnerable you feel as a guest. It's scary. Yeah, it's interesting that that word vulnerable, because I think, you know, as you'll know, I mean, you've you've written other books before. This is your third book. Is that right? It's my it's my third book. All my books are autobiographicals. Mm -hmm. This book, however, is probably the most raw I've ever been because it is definitely a self-help book, but through utilizing my own experiences and my own story and Mm -hmm. Oh, really opening up about things that I hadn't ever opened up before, because actually people need to know why you've gone through that, you know, process of healing and why you're in a position that you're sort of trying to pay it forward. But it doesn't sort of underestimate how difficult it is to open yourself up and go, the reason I'm doing this is because mainly because I want to help. Mm. But to do so, I need to tell you my story. And this is my story. And I do think it's different when you write a book like this and you've got a public profile like you where you're on telly, you know, all the time, as opposed to, say, an anonymous writer or, or, or a lesser known writer, you are at risk and you are vulnerable of journalists taking extracts of your book and, and taking it completely out of context and just publishing and making their own story from that book. Was that something that you were worried about? I must admit, I did underestimate the experience of people taking little bits of it and making of it what they will. In my Mm -hmm. head, I thought, well, this is a fully rounded creation. It all makes sense. It's, it, it, it all clicks together in the sum of its parts. It didn't, uh, foolishly, after, for goodness sake, 20 odd years in the business, I, I didn't really think about people just take the juicy bits and make those into uh-huh. the into the headlines. Yeah, yeah it's, it's terrifying. It's utterly terrifying. I mean, you know, before we go on, we must actually, you know, I've read your book and I, I'm sort of talking like everyone else has read it. Um, but we must talk about this pivotal moment that you speak about in the book that really changed everything for you. And I should I should let you explain that for people that haven't read that firsthand. Well, I I personally think that everybody has a pivot moment in their life. Sometimes you have a few pivot moments in your life, you know, whether you arrive at a crossroads and you decide to turn left or right or or what have you. For me, my 
my pivot moment was fairly extreme and <laughs> not one that most people will necessarily understand. Uh, I took part in SAS Who Dares Wins, which mm-hmm. is a reality TV show where if you if you haven't seen it, you really should. It's very, very good. And I'm not just saying that because I was in it. It's an insane format where basically four very tough and grumpy looking ex-Marines um, they basically take 12 people and put them through their paces to see what they are capable of with, with withstanding. Um, my pivot moment came when I, I agreed to do this program for Stand Up to Cancer. So I sort of volunteered, turned up at the airport, not knowing where I was going to be sent off to. It turned out it was Chile in oh, wow. uh, South America, which sounds very glamorous, but literally we were in the equivalent of some kind of mine up a mountain. Rachel. It was just very grey and and quite bleak looking. It wasn't very pretty at all. And yeah. my pivot moment came when, um, in a nutshell, we were we were put on a boat. We had black bags put over our heads, and we were driven out into goodness knows where. Uh, the boat came to a halt. We were told to leap off. We were told to march, form a line, and then one by one, the black bags were pulled off our heads. And I knew it was a TV show. I've worked in TV for 400 years, so I knew it wasn't real. But that moment when one of the Marines ripped the bag off my head and his eyes were so cold and so angry. And Mm. it was as if he could literally see inside my head and inside my soul and hated everything that he saw. In that moment, it was as if, it wasn't just the bag that was ripped off. It was as if my mask was ripped off and everything that I had tried to hide behind my professional mask, my mum mask, my wife mask, my woman Mm. mask ripped off. And I was standing there absolutely raw and he despised it. In that moment, literally, bang, I went back years and was it like a post-traumatic stress, like a flashback, do you think? Yes, not to an actual incident, but to a feeling. Yeah. It was more of a feeling. And uh, that moment kept repeating itself because of the different things that we were asked to do during the the um, uh, during the program. So the, the problem was, is when I got back, um, I I tried to just push it all back down again. Mm-hmm. Because I hadn't expected it to open. Everything had been boxed away and wasn't looked at. Do they at, offer was... you psychological help after the show? Do you go and see a therapist or anything like that? They did. They were they were great. And I turned them down because I thought I was fine. Like all mm-hmm. of life's copers. I'm one of life's mm-hmm. copers. And it's, I, I just thought, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll be, thank you so much for that lovely offer, but I'm completely fine. And right. I wasn't completely fine. I was um, making myself, how do I say, just, I was trying to keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. And mm-hmm. I was filling my, filling my time, filling every There's a title hour. for that, you know, busy women's syndrome. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. But it yeah. sounds like it's what I had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people identified with it when we had to pause for the lockdown, that they had busy women's syndrome of filling their diary, saying yes to everything, being some somebody to everybody and helping everyone out. And, you know, it's avoiding the real crux of what's going on because you're too busy to address what's going on. And there's no time to hurt. There's no time for you, you know. 
that's exactly what I did. Exactly mm. what I did. I said yes to every job. I said yes to every opportunity. But also I love doing it. And mm. and what is really strange is actually the the moments where I was on live TV were my clearest moments. Right, I know where okay. I am when I'm doing that. I'm like a mm. I'm like a driver of a Formula One car. The faster it goes, the clearer my head gets. It was outside of that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where things weren't so good until in the end. At home, we call it, I face planted. <laughs> Basically <laughs> fell over and face planted. That's a good planted. analogy. <laughs> so where, you were, where were you? Were you at home? Were you at work? Where you finally said, help, I'm not coping? Or how did it manifest itself? It manifested itself in um, somebody finally tapping me on the shoulder and going, you're not okay. Mm. And that was um, my friend Donna, who I work with uh, at Lucy Min. And, you know, people might read the book and it, it starts off basically with Donna going, whatever you're doing, stop, because it's not right. working. You are running yourself ragged. And I think, you know, that moment where your mum says, are you OK? And mm, you've been holding and everything it, in. And because it's a kind voice, you yeah. just totally fall apart. That's exactly what happened. And there were tears so were you of snot. Re relieved? Or, <laughs> yeah. Well, because it, it's, it's a lot. Is it, is, is it tears of relief or is it tears of anger or what, relief. what was it? It was so strange. It was, it was tears of humiliation of that I'd let it get this far. Do, do you regret going on the show? No, best thing I ever did. So right. glad that I did it because otherwise there'd still be this box buried in the garden and one day, mm -hmm. God knows when, yeah. it would open. Because it's, I, I realise now that, you know, I think, you know, we are the children of the generation who don't talk about things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not that far removed from us that mm. you you put on a stiff upper lip, you you carry on, that's that. Don't look at that anymore. And I was very yeah. like that. I thought that, you know, I'm a sensible person. Um, just look at loads of self-help books and be positive and everything will be fine. And I think that's why the book's quite revolutionary, because the book is so open. It's so honest. It's so raw. Um, you talk about, you know, the extent that it got to, got for you in terms of, you know, quite a dark place where you contemplated suicide. Hmm. Was that something, what was your first experience of feeling that hopeless? Was that the first time? I, I had postnatal depression after having my daughter and I had felt incredibly low and worthless whilst, hmm. um, whilst I was going through that. But that was different. That was, it was... It was almost like I was in a fog rather than the sort of raw, sharp pain that I was in this time around. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, if you have toothache and you breathe in and it's sharp, it's that's what my whole body felt like. And um, I had never, ever experienced anything like that before. And mm. I wouldn't. The reason I didn't do it was I was in a hotel room and I couldn't get the windows open. Right, and there okay. are days now where when it's a beautiful sunny day and I'm walking the dog or my daughter looks at me and she says something funny and inside I just, 
I'd say a little prayer and I say, thank you, God, for not letting those windows open because I would have missed this. And it's... Wow, that's powerful. It's so... What would I have, what would I have missed? What would I have done to my family? So there's, there's shame, there's guilt for even having got to that point. But I feel that at that moment, something else was in control and I was meant to still see beautiful days. Mm. You touched there on prayer. I did wonder, are you spiritual? Do you have a faith? You know, what's, what's your kind of belief? What, what, what gives you that comfort? Um, I'm very spiritual. I'm not necessarily religious. I think that we all have our own form of spirituality and some people put names on it and I think they call it different religions um, because that's what brings them comfort depending on where you're raised and uh, what your beliefs are. Mm. I am incredibly spiritual and I've always, I've always believed that it's going to sound very strange. I've always believed that I was here for a reason mm-hmm. and I never quite knew what it was. And after um, everything that happened, I'd always sort of meditated and done yoga and all this sort of stuff. But I realized I'd done it on a very sort of superficial level. And as part of learning to be still and um just allowing myself to feel open. Mm. Um, I've actually, I've actually come to believe that, um, yeah, the, I don't know what you would call it, but I do believe in the power of the universe. I believe that things happen for a reason. And I believe that I, everything for me happened for a reason to get me to precisely the point where I am today. And the point where I am today is to help as many people as humanly possible feel great about themselves. Also from something else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Another topic that I really enjoyed reading about in the book, um, I think just because I'm married and, and I've got young children and, you know, I've, I haven't, I've been with my husband nine years, only married five. And, you know, I, I'm finding out how difficult marriage is. You know, it's not just about love and st- remaining romantic. And actually it's like any other job, or any other responsibility you take on. It's, it's a constant hard hard work which probably doesn't sound a very romantic way to la- label marriage and you talk quite honestly about um doing couples therapy with Nick and it's it's so refreshing as another couple to think actually this is normal you know me and my husband um use a therapist together and I know other people through the school my kids school that do that but we don't really talk about it yeah um and I don't know why. I, I don't really talk about it to anyone either. Um, oh, I, I know why. And it's because um, it's just not seen in the right light in this country. Um, mm. You know, when I mentioned literally in passing on on television once, I can't remember what we were talking about on the show, um, but I, I said that Nick and I had been to uh, couples counselling and actually it had been re- a really powerful experience for us. What mm. I didn't tell them was the thing that we were going to counselling for was to help me overcome having a breakdown and all mm-hmm. the things that I was trying to come to terms with because that was very private. But I, I, mm-hmm. I did feel that it was, it was worthwhile mentioning that actually couples counselling is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. For months and months afterwards in the newspapers, in the magazines, Andrea McLean, you know, marriage disaster, having couples counselling. And it didn't take it's anything so positive from what I no. said because people link having counselling with trouble. And actually yeah. it's the opposite. You, When you have counselling together, you learn how to communicate better because, mm-hmm. you know, when you say I do, that's the start. That's not the end. You don't just get married yeah. and live happily ever after. And and the happily ever after is just dot, dot, dot. It's That's mm-hmm. when everything begins. And you're, you're two human beings who have decided to coexist side by side. And you have different, different ways of expressing yourself. Like, for example, if, if Nick and I disagree on something, he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. I will talk about it mm. and for days. And we drive each other mad because he shuts down and I it's keep going. It's the same as our relationship. Yeah, I think this exactly. is very typical male and female dynamic, isn't it? Exactly. It's- Why are you still going on? Why aren't you listening? You know, and she said, how do you think it makes Andrea feel when you don't answer her anymore? And he was like, well, that it's over. No, that you're not listening to her. And then, and I'm sitting there mm. thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh, listen to the lady. And then she yeah. said, and how do you think it makes him feel when you keep poking him? What? I'm not poking him. Well, he feels yeah. like you are. And she taught us how to build a bridge between the two. And mm. that's what marriage is, really. It's mm-hmm. learning how to build a bridge and communicate and agree to disagree. <laughs> really. Yeah. And and isn't that such a beautiful thing? And when, when the press take it out of context and they make it like a failure or ac- accusational, it just scares other people off from speaking Absolutely. out. And, it, and then we stop sharing information as women because we're scared. And we're and like you said at the start, this shame comes back and it's so damaging. Like we don't have a network. We can't empower each other and say, 
Same for me. Absolutely. Um, another bit I wrote, I've got, I've got it in front of me here. I actually wrote this out from the book. You said that before you met Nick, you obviously had no clue when it came to men. And it just yeah. felt like me <laughs> saying this. Um, <laughs> and I wondered, you know, was it hard for you to open up your heart? Um, are you somebody that falls easily or fall, falls? Because for me, I kind of used to fall in love with the idea of falling in love. And then yeah. that did change for me. I, I wondered how that had been for you. Oh, I mean, by the time I I met Nick, um, I'd I'd been divorced for a while, um, a, a couple of years, and <laughs> I'd had some relationships that hadn't hadn't worked out. I was basically just repeating pattern after pattern after pattern. And funnily mm-hmm. enough, again, it was Donna and other friends that went, stop it. And Don- <laughs> Donna said, I mean, Donna should get like a little crown. Uh, she <laughs> said, right, enough. Um, you're a really nice lady and you just deserve to have a laugh. So I know this guy, he's a friend of my husband's and we are going to take you out on a double date. And oh, I was God, that's not interested. At all. Right. I couldn't mm-hmm. have been, I wasn't looking. I'd had enough. I'd kind of resigned myself that I clearly just wasn't very good at this. And, mm. um, but I went because Donna had, she's quite a strong person. So Donna says, do yeah. something. Everybody I feel like she, I feel like she needs a <laughs> podcast of her own. <laughs> she does, actually. Yeah. <laughs> she does. And um, so I was, okay. So it was quite a palaver to even get to this date because I had to drop off kids, dogs. It just of course, it was quite yeah. a business, you know. To it's even... not like being 18 again. It's completely, the game has <laughs> no, changed, it was you know. Quite a bit. And by the time I got there, I was so tired. I just wanted to lie down. <laughs> but um, we met in Brighton. And um, the, the reason I'm telling you all this is because, well, for one, I didn't have my contact lenses in, so I didn't know what he looked like for the first quite a while because <laughs> I couldn't see him properly. <laughs> I couldn't see him properly when he walked in. And then I was too shy to look at him. And I remember he smelled mm. nice. I thought, you know, it was about it. And then I got very drunk and we went for a meal and uh, Donna and Dan kind of left us to it. And I did, well, I did a few things that I've never done before. But the first thing was I told him everything. I wow. literally just went. I'd had quite a few espresso martinis by this point. Mm-hmm. And I just said to him, look, we're here for a, a date. You clearly now know who I am. You could go away and just Google me and all kinds of stuff is going to come up. And 99% of it is rubbish. So you might as well did, know the did truth. Did he know who you were before he came? No. Yeah. No, he didn't. No idea. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And he didn't even really, he didn't recognise me when he met me. And mm. it wasn't until it was sort of pointed out that he went, oh, you're that one who sits on the end. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <Typical> me. Bloke. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't mean anything to him. You know, he worked yeah. during the day. He isn't around to, and also I suppose Luke Zubin isn't the kind of programmer he would normally sit and watch. Mm. So it didn't really mean anything to him. Um, so no, I told him everything. And I went, there you go. And if you Take like it, great. And if you don't, it's been lovely having some espresso martinis with you and a little bit of sushi or whatever it was. I can't even remember what we ate. Um, but there we are. And he just sort of nodded and looked really shocked. And he told me afterwards, he hadn't dated for a very long time. And he said, is this what you're supposed to do now? <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> so, yeah, there's no hard and fast rules. For some reason, I just went, do you know what? Blah. And if you don't like it, you know tough. What? 
Yeah. Do you think the jokes aside, do you think there's something in the psychology of, do you know what? I'm going to put out there, I'm going to show you my good side. I'm going to turn up looking lovely. I'm going to make an effort and be chatty, but I'm also going to show you all my flaws. And actually I'll give it to you before you give it to me and reject me. So that, because there's something quite liberating about being unedited. So that actually, if they do reject you, you were authentic and you can walk away and it hasn't affected you almost. Yes. I totally think in my drunken state, I was being that clued up. <laughs> Do you think mm, that, no, that, was, I've been there. that was it? I've been there too. And then in the more, and it's only after alcohol because it lowers your inhibitions. Yeah. And I've kind of told, over told things and said things. And in the morning I thought, why did I do that? I didn't want to do that. And then I, well, actually, do you know what? Sod it. I've done it. And yeah. if they they come back, they come back. If they don't, what's not meant for you won't come back to you exactly. anyway, will it? Well, the next but, day my, my phone had died. And by the next day I was... Um, it was, uh, I don't know, by early afternoon or whatever, I, my phone had charged and I eventually looked at it and he sent me a message saying, do you fancy meeting for breakfast for croissants? And I was miles oh, was away by then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Mm. The book gives some really good advice and, and kind of life lessons on asserting yourself, boundaries, um, and all about kind of taking control of your own life. And I wondered... Um, with that kind of philosophy for for living your life, how did you cope when the pandemic hit? Because, I mean, obviously you've got this new mentality of of taking back that power. Mm. Did you feel more equipped to deal with the pandemic or did that actually set you back slightly? I felt much more equipped because um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. None of us could have foreseen what was going to happen um, in 2020, none of us. And obviously I started writing this book towards the end of last year and I finished it in lockdown. So the the thought processes that I had were just very much at, of overcoming difficulty through telling my various stories. And the difficulties that people will be trying to overcome now are clearly lockdown related. And, and all of the advice that I give, 100%, if lockdown is your thing, and I say that at the beginning, it doesn't matter what your it is, you know, mm-hmm. this is advice that can help you. But for me, the kids always used to laugh at me that if there was ever any kind of apocalypse, I would be useless because I'm really <laughs> scared of sci-fi films. I don't like films where, you know, that's it, the world's ending or there's zombies or anything like that. And the kids have always joked that they'd be on their own because I would just be the one running <laughs> screaming wrong. and I'd die first, you know. <laughs> I'd be the one in the movies that everyone would be going, why does she go downstairs when there's a baddie in the basement? That would be yeah. me. So when lockdown happened, I really surprised myself because mm. actually... I became very, very practical and very together. And all all I was concerned about is, is my unit happy, safe? Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we mentally keeping on top of things so that we're, we know we're loved, we know we're, we're safe? Are, am I practically keeping on top of things in terms of um, getting food in and supermarket deliveries and how are we going to mm-hmm. feed ourselves? Um, obviously my job ended like that Mm, overnight. So, um, the show I worked on was taken off air. All my other jobs instantly dried up, Mm -hmm. um, freelance. If I don't work, I don't get paid the same as Mm -hmm. millions of other people. But 
I became incredibly practical. And actually, the, the first little while, although it was frantically busy because I was, I was finishing my book, I was on deadline, we were working really, really hard on thisgirlisonfire.com, which is the, mm-hmm. the website that I run with Nick. So we were, we were flat out. He works from home every day anyway. So his life only changed because there were more of us around. Right, and okay. suddenly, you know, his quick little lunch break didn't take 15 minutes. It took an hour because we were all yeah. there. But actually, all the processes that I'd put in place before had meant that mentally I was really strong and mm. it, it really helped because no one had to look after me. Yeah, I suppose it's staying, staying calm, isn't it, in, in a crisis and, and not letting that anxiety kind of grow you know, out Weirdly, of I'm very good in a crisis. It's mm. in normal life that I'm... <laughs> I can get a bit, <laughs> but in, I, I don't know if it's years of working in live TV that literally mm. if things get, things get frantic, that's when I, uh, I think I've actually always been like this. Uh, I've tried to describe it to someone once. For me, it's as if time slows down mm-hmm. and I can actually yeah. see everything very clearly and almost in slow motion. And so mm. I have, for me, I have loads of time to react. But when I look at it afterwards, actually, no, everything's gone very fast, but I, f- I can almost feel like everything is very slow and my brain almost goes into quarters and I can think different things at once. It's very odd. I did wonder, um, because I feel that, you know, the book is very honest, you know, sometimes um, when you'll read about, you know, different traumatic experiences that people have been through, if it's sort of written in, in shorthand in a weekly magazine, they want a beginning, a middle and an end and a happy end. Yeah. And actually, you know, on podcasts, we get to explore that actually life isn't always like that. And there's the ups and the downs and progress is made so sometimes then you fall by the wayside and go go backwards slightly and I wondered do you have rough days and if you do what are the coping mechanisms that you rely on that you know that's such a brilliant question because and I think you've put that so beautifully because in this kind of media culture that we're in now and I think the movie culture and the Netflix culture and all that sort of thing we we have this appetite to hear someone's horror story and then to know that everyone lived happily ever after and it all got worked out in the end. So it's all really neat. There's a beginning, a middle and end, as, he, as you say, but but life isn't like that. So yes, of course, I I um, I am so much better than I am. I actually feel better than I have done for years, years and mm. years. But it doesn't mean that everything is all rosy because life is bumpy and there are still times when you know, there'll be hurdles coming your way. And I I still have, I, I cried earlier this week because there was a bump in the road that I really didn't see coming. But the difference mm. is that I see it for what it is. And because I'm not now dragging around anything else, whatever it is that is a, is a hurdle is simply that hurdle. And, and that's it. So for me, um, I walked the dog and cried. And, mm-hmm. you know, luckily where I live, I don't know, maybe there's a lot of middle-aged women walking around crying, but nobody better than I lid. Walking the dog and I just sort of, I stuck a podcast in and uh, listened mm. to it. And by the time I got home, I felt loads better. And yeah, yeah okay, I wasn't exactly chipper all day. But the, again, the, the biggest change that I've made is I say out loud, I'm not feeling great today because this has really thrown me. So you're going to have to be a bit patient with me today. 
Yeah, I suppose there's some some real liberation in not suppressing your feelings. And, you know, we're, we're so quick to talk about the good days, the happy moments when we've been successful. We'll post it on Instagram and not so much the negative ones because they don't feel like they're entertaining or they hold a place or they're inspiring. And yeah. I suppose what you're doing is you are sharing them and you're liberating yourself. And actually that, sh- that shame word that came up, well, it's not there because you're not letting it taunt you and sort of own you almost. I think also it's important to show our children that you're, you don't know everything. You're just mm. a human being who sometimes gets things right. Sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll be happy. Sometimes you'll be strong. But actually, we're all the same. In the same way that mm. they have bad days, so does mum, so does dad, so does nana and granddad and everybody else because we're all just human beings. And the mm. worst thing that we could try and be is like some kind of Stepford wife or Stepford mum or Stepford daughter and just hold everything in and say, how are you? Absolutely fine. Yeah. Because, and I'm not necessarily saying that you grab someone in a supermarket and go, can I just tell you about my really terrible day? I'm having a really terrible day. Because that's not necessarily acceptable, depending on who you stop at the supermarket. But to yeah. your friends and loved ones, you can say, do you know what? I'm really not feeling it today. I'm feeling mm. quite anxious or I'm feeling, mm. I'm feeling angry. I'm so angry. You know, the other day I got into work. And uh, somebody said, your voice is a bit croaky. Have you got a cold? And I said, no, I've been shouting all the way here. And they said, what have you been shouting? I said, very rude words of the cars because <laughs> I was just in a really bad mood. Stressed, and everyone seemed to be yeah. pulling out in front of me in traffic. But I felt so mm. much better because I just yelled a little bit. It was fine. Let it all out. If you see yeah, a shouty middle-aged woman in Surrey, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's been so lovely talking to you. You know, I mean, I've, I've met you quite a few times now on the show, but whenever I talk to you, I, I feel like I really know you. And I, oh, I, and I think you. it's testament to how honest you are. And I feel like the book's going to be, I mean, I really enjoyed reading the book alone by myself, but I think it's also going to be a great gift to buy a girlfriend or someone in your life who you know might need to read that book. Oh, thank um, you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I, I want it to be for for anyone, for anyone who feels stuck and mm. is sort of looking around. You don't even have to have been through some big ordeal, but anyone who feels stuck and is looking around and thinking, how did I end up here? This isn't where I thought I would be. Or if you're still, if you have a girlfriend and all she's doing is moaning all the time and not mm. doing anything to change the situation that she's in, give her a copy of the book because we, and I say this right at the beginning, we all have one of those friends that moans, but have you ever thought that it's you? And sometimes it's quite a shock when you realize that it's, (laughs) it's, oh my God, it's me. I'm the friend in the group that just moans all the time. So Mm. yes, it's a book for everybody. And I really appreciate your kindness and your thoughts on it. Thank you, Katie. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, the book is called This Girl Is On Fire. So please do look that up and buy one for you and one for a friend. (laughs) Thank you so much. You've been extraordinary. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.